Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday Morning Podcast. Berean Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. That song you just sang, now if I got this right, I jotted this down real quick. Jeff, help me out. I think one of the lines was, no, don't look it up. I'm going to see if you, <laughs> I think I got it. <laughs> the will of God won't take you where the grace of God can't keep you. Is that right? Got it right. Um, that is a great uh, lead in for our uh, sermon this morning, because we're going to talk about God's will. That's a big topic. And it's one that uh, theologians, philosophers, and average people like, like you and me uh, have thought about, have talked about, have, uh, it's been a big part of our life. What is God's will? Um, God's sovereign will, our, our choices, God's will for us. So we're going to talk this morning about God's will as we continue our series from Elijah, the prophet, from 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17, and we're going to discuss this morning the will of God, assuming God's will, accepting God's will, and acknowledging God's will in our life. 1 Kings chapter 17. And let's have a word of prayer as we open God's word. Heavenly Father, uh, we pray during these next few minutes that we will continue to worship you by reading your word, considering your word, listening to your word. May our hearts be open to your word. Uh, we are thankful for it, and we are thankful so much that you have left us uh, the Holy Scriptures to guide us, to teach us, and to draw us close to you. And so we commit these next few minutes to you, and also as our uh, children are meeting with Susie around your word as well, and our preschool classes have been meeting this morning, Father. Uh, we pray that the children will also hear your word and listen to your word and live by your word as well. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 1 Kings chapter 17, and uh, we're going to actually 17, 17. We're going to begin this morning at verse 17. So just remember the widow of Zarephath, whom Elijah the prophet has been sent to. She lives up in modern day Lebanon, up by Sidon. He has been sent out of Israel, out of Palestine. He's been sent out of the area by God. And there's been a famine in the land for... We know it's going to be three and a half years, and it's because Elijah prayed. Is that, is that Steve and Timmy? Good to see you guys. My goodness, I haven't seen you for long. Steve Cherigino, Timmy, good to see you guys. Yeah. And uh, sorry, it has nothing to do with Elijah inside <laughs> or moving to Las Vegas or anything like that. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, so they, they are. he is up in an area outside of Israel, and we are building toward the contest with uh, Mount Carmel, with the prophets of Baal. So it's a very critical decision time in Israel's history. Are they going to worship Baal, or are they going to worship the one true God? These are God's people. And so as we're building toward that climax of this, of this account of Elijah's life, he has been sent away. They ran out of food and water. We looked at last week, he, was, uh, he went to the widow and asked her for the last bit of bread she had. Last drink of water. Uh, she said, we're going to die. He said, you know, trust God, get, let me do this. And, of course, then we have the story that after, they, after she made the bread, gave it to Elijah, 
From that point on, the oil every day was there for the bread, the wheat, the oil, the water. Every day was there, day by day, for their use. Verse 17, sometime later, we don't know, you know, when the Bible tells us those things, we, we, you know, we just, because we're reading along, we kind of assume, well, it must be the next day or something. But we don't know that. Could have been months. Could have been a couple of years. We don't know that. But it just says sometime later, while Elijah is living at upstairs in her house, she's a widow. She has a son. Incidentally, uh, one of the Jewish traditions, interestingly enough, one of the rabbis, uh, one of the key rabbis from the, about the time, I think this during this time period, um, the rabbinical period, um, uh, taught that this was Jonah's mother and that this son is Jonah. Kind of interesting. It's just a tradition, uh, conjecture, but it's, it's, you'll find it in the Jewish writings. Anyway, uh, the prophet Jonah. So anyway, Elijah's living with her. He's upstairs in her house, kind of the rented room, and she's providing the house. God's providing the food, and they're waiting for this, this, this time to go back to Palestine. And it says, sometime later, the woman who owned the house, the son of the woman who owned the house, became ill. He grew worse and worse. And finally, he stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, What do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? Give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room where he was staying, laid him on his bed, and he cried out to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with? by causing her son to die. Now, some of you can relate to, all of us who are parents can relate to some degree to this story. Uh, some of you have lost children. I know that. And the, the heartbreak uh, to watch a child, um, and, and for those of us who've had children that we have not lost our children, probably all of us have been through times where our children were quite ill, uh, pretty scary. And to watch a child... Um, get sick and get progressively sick and, and sort of the helplessness of wanting to do something and to step in and to change it. And it continues and continues. And in this case, I, I believe that the son died. I think that's the most natural reading. There is some debate about this because the actual Hebrew word there, nefesh, has to do with breath or this, that is really, I think the King James says his breath left him. Is that true? Um, that they, there are some who teach that he was just like comatose. Um, but I think the most natural reading, and most of the commentators, I think, understand this, that when the, when the Hebrew says here that um, his breath left him, that he stopped breathing, he died. Now, this is the same woman who earlier had told Elijah, um, I only have this little bit of meal left to make a loaf of bread, and my, my son and I are going to die. They already planned on dying, she with him. But in this case, now that things are better, her son is going to die, and he dies. Now, I want you to notice her response. Isn't this interesting? Elijah doesn't say anything, although we don't know what's between the lines, maybe, about what conversations they may have had. But notice what she says. What do you have against me, verse 18, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? And, you know, there's an assumption about God's will here. She makes an assumption. And Elijah, we aren't really told. We, you know, there's nothing in the background. And nothing ever unfolds to say, 
you know, God comes along and says, okay, here's what happened, here's why I did this, or no, I didn't do this, or hey, silence. In fact, you'll notice as we finish the story, God never does speak. God doesn't ever talk or speak to Elijah throughout this story. But she makes the assumption that there's a connection between her sin and her son's death. Now, you know, I, I think that all of us, this is, a, this is a, an age-old question. And I think probably, you know, I remember back in 1978, my first year in the ministry, it was probably actually winter of 79, uh, I was the associate Christian ed director, pastor at our church at Bethesda, Minneapolis. And the pastor went on vacation, and whenever he went on vacation, I would fill in for him. And, um, and in this case, I went to visit this sweet, godly, just sweet older lady in our church. Some, I'm not going to mention any names, but like some of you here that I've known so well that have walked with the Lord, you've been faithful to God, you've supported his work, you've taught, you've done. This dear widow, saint, sweet lady, who of anybody, and I went to visit her, and I think she had, I think it was cancer, I think. And um, it was either cancer or a heart attack. I can't remember which one it was. And when I went to see her, I came in, and the first thing that she said to me was, what do you think it was? What have I done that, that God has done this to me? And that's just a natural response. And I, you know, it's not critical or anything. It's just sort of a natural response that we sometimes make this connection. And, and, I, and I reassured her from my, from my understanding of Scripture that there's, n- there's no connection with, as far as I understand, at least to make that connection that she's suffering because she did something sinful in her life. But, you know, that happens. And maybe you've been in that situation where, you know, your first response is, God, why did you do this to me? What did I do? This lady makes an assumption that there's a connection. And also, we aren't told what her sin is. And I don't know that we need to even think in terms of a particular sin. She was a widow. It's not like she was a harlot or something like that. She was a widow. And I think what might have been is, it just may have been that in the presence of of a prophet, and she, I mean, after all, they are, don't forget, they are every day partaking of the miracle of the food. I mean, every day is before them. Every single day they partake of something that goes completely against nature. This food just keeps reproducing itself, the ability to make this food and water, while everybody else is starving and, and, and uh, thirsty. So every day they are partaking of a miracle. And you see this in the Bible where, Sometimes when, when God is so present, when God is so present, it's a stark reminder of how human and how sinful we are, our sinful condition. Our Lord Jesus Christ ran into that. We, we see in the Gospels where, remember when after one of the miracles on the lake, on the Sea of Galilee, and, and Peter realized this I don't know how much he realized. If he, I don't know if he realized until the resurrection he was fully deity, but he realized he was the son of God. Remember what he said when, when Jesus came? He said what? Depart from me. Depart from me. Why? I'm a sinful man. The, the presence of God was so stark compared to him. He says, depart from me. Leave. I'm a sinful man. And of course, Jesus didn't say, okay, never mind. I'll leave you. No, he invited him. He, he knew that. When Jesus 
when Jesus cured the, the man with the, the, the league of demonics in him, the demons in him, and in the Gospel of Mark, you can read this in Mark chapter 5, um, they, these people saw this tremendous miracle of Jesus casting these demons into this herd of pigs that went over a cliff and, and the pigs talking, you know, the demons talking, saying, what are you going to do? What do we have to do with you? Don't, don't destroy us. And, and this tremendous miracle that these people saw took place. And then they saw this man who had been previously cutting himself and, and chained and just this, this demonic person. And they saw him just in his right mind, peaceful, healed, content. They saw this miracle. Do you remember what they asked Jesus? What? Leave us. They were frightened. Leave us. Leave this place. You would think the opposite, right? Leave us. So in the presence of the holiness of God and, and, and so on, uh, you know, this lady, I, I think every day this miracle, this was a prophet of God. God was present in their life. She says, you came to remind me how sinful I am and to kill my son. Kill my son. She makes an assumption. Not only that, but as you see in verse 19, Elijah makes the same assumption because he cries to the Lord and he says, why have you brought tragedy upon this widow by causing her, in verse 20 at the end, by causing her son to die. Now, this is the deep issues of the sovereignty of God. You know, the Bible does tell us. Our, the Bible, I believe, tells me that God knew when I would draw my first breath, November 25th, 1952, Swedish Hospital. And he knows when I'm going to draw my last breath. I don't know when it is. And if, if, I, if something came down today that, that I was, had a serious illness or something, like you... <laughs> I would seek proper medical attention. I would pray. I would do what I can to, to, to help overcome that, to extend my life. It's a natural, and I think that would be the natural and, and normal thing that we, we pray about it. We pray for people all the time. But when all is said and done, God knows when I'm going to draw my last breath. I believe that. And yet I also believe that if it was you or if it was me, I would pray for you. You would pray for me. And, we, and, and there are people here today in this, in this room. I was thinking about you, Larry, Larry Gabway. I was thinking about how many years ago was that you had that stomach cancer? 1999. 1999. And I, I don't know why. I was just thinking about that the other day. And, uh, and, 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 and Larry's here. Others, as we know well, they are not here. God called him home. This is in God's hands. And it's the will of God. But I, I, just, I just want to remind you this morning that I think we should be careful about making an assumption that we know why God does certain things. We must be careful about that. Every so often when tragedy strikes somewhere in the world, we might say, well, God is punishing them for this. You don't know that. I don't know that. This, we received news from our Filipino uh, friends this, this, this yesterday. I actually got an email and I, he was talking about, which I had read about when we were on vacation, this terrible ferry accident in the Philippines out of Cebu City, where our main, main big part of things to come work is down there. And 750 people, and there's, there's hundreds are missing. And I'm sure there will be Christians among that group. There'll be Muslims, there'll be Christians, there'll be atheists. You don't know. And I think we should be very, very careful. And as, of course, as pastor, I'm facing this all the time, and, I, and, I, and we try to be very careful. Um, about ever assuming that, well, this is probably why this has happened to you. Does God do things? In God can do whatever he wants to do. 
You know, Paul told the Corinthians, many of you are sick and, and so on. It's because of how you're dealing. You're, you're coming to, to the Lord's table in a very sinful manner. Well, Paul was an apostle. I'm not an apostle. I do not have apostolic authority. And so I, I just want to, this is an interesting story. I think the first thing about God's will is assuming you know God's will. She assumed this happened to her somehow connected with her sin. It never says that. God never says that, and God never responded that way. And, you know, just, just a quick reminder, in, in the Gospel of Luke, I think our Lord affirms this. this. This was a very constant question that came up in the old world. And there was a really in the old, when I say the old world, the biblical world, you know, the old New Testament world, this was really predominant, that people were always assuming that, that there was a connection. In fact, what's probably the oldest book in the Bible, we think? Job, right? What's the main story behind Job? The main story behind Job is that, that Satan comes to God. God throws down the gauntlet to Satan. So have you considered my friend Job? God allows Satan to, to do things to Job, terrible things. And Job's friends gather around him and keep trying to convince him, Job, you're doing, this is happening because you've sinned. Just repent. God doesn't do this for no reason. They assumed they knew what God was doing. And that's the story of the book of Job. And in fact, Job uh, speaks to God and rails against God. And when God answers, he never does say, here's why this happened. He never does tell them, at least in the story. He, 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 he says, who are you to question me? I'm God. You're, you're human. You're men. You're women. Who, who are you to question me? And, and that's, that, that is the story, the oldest book in the Bible. And this theme goes on throughout human history. And, and in uh, Luke chapter 13, one of the days when Jesus was, was speaking, it says there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans, these would be Jews from his hometown area, whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He had brutally slaughtered these people while they were sacrificing, mixed their blood, and it was just a terrible thing, obviously, and the word spread throughout. And, and, they, and they asked Jesus, what about these people? Meaning, what, what did they do? And look what Jesus says. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, that, I tell you no. No. They, this is not because they didn't get this because they were worse than anybody else. But it happened. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those, and then Jesus says, or those 18 who died when the tower of Siloam fell on them. And the word probably was, well, these people obviously were sinful because this tower fell on them. Do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. So Jesus flat out denies this connection that they assumed because of sin that God had done this. So the, the first part of God's will this morning, I just think we need to be careful. I'm not saying that God you know, doesn't ever, I mean, God can do whatever God wants to do. What I'm saying is I think we ought to be careful of, of you or me assuming we know why God is doing something. What we can assume is that all things work together for good to them who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. And so Elijah Verse 20, when we read this, he cries out, Oh Lord, my God, have you brought tragedy also upon this widow I am staying with by causing her son to die? He stretched himself out on the boy three times 
And he cried to the Lord, Oh Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. So I want you to notice a couple of things about accepting God's will. You and I accept God's will. I look back over my life. I look back over your lives. And we think of the things that, that have happened in our lives. And we, we accept God's will. We would have it no other way. We, we trust God. You know, we've been singing about that this morning. We trust God. You trust God this morning? If you can't trust God, you know, you know the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that little story. I love our children to hear this story, you know, where Jesus says, he says, if your son came and asked you for bread, would you give him a stone? If he came and asked you for a fish, would you give him a scorpion? You know, if Nora came to you and said, can I have, can I have some, a, a piece of bread, mom? And you gave her a stone and said, ha, ha, ha. You know, of course not. You as parents, you would never do that. Ruth, you know, you take care of your kids, right? We would never. Do. Jesus says, well, if you know how to do that, how much greater does your heavenly father know how to care for those who are his own? God loves us. God cares for us. We accept God's will. But in the meantime, because we are human and God has, has, has asked us and granted us this personal relationship with him, we ask questions. We pray. We, we go through the struggles of God's will. And sometimes those struggles are deep, 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 deep. And we go through those. And I want you to notice that part of accepting God's will is this vibrant relationship with God. Look at, look at Elijah says. Here's, here's the prophet, a man of faith. He, is the, he, he thinks he's the last prophet leader in Israel. He's going to find out there's several thousand more. But he, but, but, but he is a man of deep faith. He is a man who God has, 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 has provided this miracle. He is a man who has prayed and it hasn't rained. It doesn't rain for three and a half years because of his prayer. That's what the Bible says. We, we saw that. And we'll see that again. But look what he says to God. He, he, he confronts God. He confronts God. He says, God, what are you doing? This lady is taking care of me. This lady has provided me a house. She is faithful. She believes in you. She has accepted your will. She has, you, you've provided food. Every day you're giving us food and water. I'm reading between the lines a little bit here. But he says, Lord, what are you doing? Why have you brought tragedy upon this widow by causing her son to die? Why did you do this, God? That was not a good idea <laughs> to kill her son. <clears throat> and you know, there's a tradition in the Bible that, listen, you know, we're doing our Bible reading and we, we read Psalms this morning. And <clears throat> you cannot read the book of Psalms, let alone so much of the Old Testament and the New Testament, without finding that God's people speak quite openly to him. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, we, we sometimes, this is my opinion, you know, sometimes we get a little bit um, legalistic. I don't know what the right word, we get a little legalistic, you know, and, and assume that if, if we ever ask God why you're doing this or ever kind of challenge and, and ask him to change it and don't, don't do this, that somehow we are, you know, just out of the will of God. We are not, as Christians, we are not stoic, um, uh, you know, uh, people who, who are just, who are just give up on everything. We pray. This, and we're going to see this in James when we continue our study. He, he's used as an example. 
Elijah, of a man who prays, and it affects what God does, even though it's still within God's sovereign plan. That's the mystery. I, I don't need to understand. I don't need to understand why or how God does everything he does. He wouldn't be much of a God if I could explain it to you. But Elijah, in the tradition of the Old Testament, in the tradition of David, in the tradition of Abraham, in the tradition of Moses, Moses, God, don't kill these people. God says, Moses, stand back. I'm going to destroy these people. I'm going to destroy these people, and I'm going to start with you. And from here on forth, everybody who's part of the promised people are going to be descendants of Moses. And Moses begs God, don't do it, God. Change your mind. Why? Because if you do this, the other people, the Canaanites, are going to say, your God couldn't even protect his own people. What kind of God is he? Now, did God have to go back and, and the Trinity have a, you know, a, a, a consultation and say, oh, what should we do now? Hmm. Of course not. But that's the interaction between God's people and God. And, God, and the Bible, God responds. And God says he relented. He relented. It says that in the Hebrew. He relents. But it's still in his will. And Elijah, and I just wanted to, to tell you today, and, and a part of our as, as family of God accepting God's will is part of this, this interaction, this vibrant interpersonal action with God where we talk about God's will with God. And it's okay. And I'll show you from the New Testament, it's okay when we close today. It's okay. God, why did you do this? This was a bad idea to kill this son. Why did you do this? I wouldn't do it that way. Why would you do this? And then he stretches himself out. He goes upstairs. He, he takes the boy with him up to his room. The boy is dead. He's lifeless. There's no life in this boy's body. His breath has left him. He has to be dead. He stretches him out. And he puts himself over the boy. And three times he cries out to the Lord. First time Oh, Lord, my God, let this boy's life return to him. And nothing happened. All right, God, I get it. The boy's good. No. Second time, stretches himself out. Let this boy's life return to him. Nothing happens. I wonder if he remembered the story of David. Do you remember when David uh, and Bathsheba's son that was born from, from that uh, situation that, that we read about in, in the story of David that was his, one of his great sins. But the, the baby was innocent. Then the baby, the baby is born and what happens? Falls gravely ill. And what does David do? David, the king of Israel, he, he, he pours himself out. He mourns. Everybody in the palace mourns. He begs God. He begs God, don't let this baby die. And what happens? Huh? You can talk. The baby dies. God didn't answer his prayer the way he wanted. The baby died. Elijah has no guarantee. This has never happened before. This is the first time in the Bible somebody comes back to life, as far as I can tell. If I'm wrong, point it out to me. Now, I I hesitate to use the word resurrected because the resurrection is something a little different. But this is the first time in the Bible. This has never happened before. Elijah is assuming some pretty serious negotiations with God to beg God and continue to beg God to do something that has never happened. People have been fed before like manna. 
People have received water before. People have received health before. People have received other miraculous things. But nobody has ever come back to life who has died. But Elijah, the third time, incidentally, as a Jew, uh, this body is, is dead, it's unclean. Elijah throws all the Mosaic law out the window and, and, and puts himself, he's not supposed to do that. You're not supposed to touch a dead body. In Jewish tradition, you don't do that. But he throws himself the third time and says, cries out to God, O Lord, my God. Elijah, his name means Jehovah is my God. Elah means is, is to me and Yah, Yahweh, Jehovah is my God. O Lord, Elijah, my God, let this boy's life return to him. God, do this. And God does. So in part of accepting God's will in your life and in my life can include serious, vibrant interaction with God. It's okay. Some of you right now are praying for some people. I, I know you. I know some of you are praying every single day for somebody in your family that is not turning to the Lord and you're praying for them every day. Some of you are dealing with some relationship issues. Some of it's, it's financial. Some of it's health. Whatever. And you are praying desperately and you're praying day after day after day and it doesn't seem to change. Part of accepting God's word, will is that continual interaction with God where at heart we say, yes, God, your will be done. Please, would you do this? Please, would you do this? I think this should happen. Third thing, verse 22. I, and I love this personification of God. The Lord heard Elijah's prayer. And again, as our God is, 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 is fully sovereign, we understand that it's not like all of a sudden he woke up and heard like the gods of, of Baal but the Lord, that means the Lord acknowledged Elijah's cry. This is a strong word. He, he acknowledged his cry and the boy's life returned to him. The boy came. I wonder, I wonder if Elijah was shocked. <laughs> what do you do? <laughs> and, and, and the boy is alive. And Elijah picks up the child, carries him down from the room into the house, gave him to his mother and said, look, your son is alive. Now, the Bible doesn't record every little detail of every story. It's, it's just not that critical. But mothers here, mothers, at least we'll take you. If this were your son or daughter and you were mourning their death and you assumed it had something to do with your sinfulness and you know that you're still just in shock, and Elijah brings back your child who's alive, brings him back downstairs, says, here he's alive. You probably would say, hmm, now I know you are the man of God, right? <laughs> Before you say that, what would you say? Probably a shriek, probably a cry of joy, probably an amazing celebration. This person's alive. He's back alive. And I'm sure after the hugging and the tears and the crying and the celebration, maybe calling to her neighbors. I mean, you know, I don't think we need to assume this all is done in private, that these people kept all this themselves. This stuff spread like wildfire. 
And, 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 and this was, this was, uh, this is the first time it's happened. But she does say, she does, and I want you to notice her response. This, this is, this is the part of acknowledging what God is up to. Now I know you are a man of God. And here's the important thing. That, that's important. But here's what's more important. And that the word of the Lord from your mouth is the truth. You see, I've been telling you, during these times, times of Moses and Joshua, Elijah and Elisha, Jesus and the apostles. Those are the three times in the scripture where you have this explosion of miracles. You have people raised from the dead. You see this during the life of Christ and the apostles. The intent was never to draw attention to the person doing it or to the fact that nature had been defied. The intention always was to validate the message of the messenger that you better listen, God is speaking. If not, Jesus could have just stopped one day, put his hand out and said, everybody in Galilee and Judea, you are healed. Let's get it done with so I can preach and teach. But they came one by one, one by one, and he, and he, and he touched them and he healed them. He spoke to them. A woman comes up behind him, touches his, his garment while he's surrounded by people and Jesus' power has gone out. Who touched me? His disciples said, what are you talking about? Who touched you? You're... You, you know, it's like trying to get out of a Seahawk game, get your purses checked or something. You know, everybody's packed around you. What do you mean who touched you? No, someone touched me, one person. Because each of those miracles, each of those stories, the point was to validate the message. To validate the message. Now, now just as we close, a New Testament application of this. Lest you think this is only Old Testament stuff, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. The Apostle Paul, who had been given the, the task of taking the message of the church, the body of Christ, to the Gentile world, the Apostle who was sent away from Jerusalem to herald the new message that Jew and Gentile are now one, the church, the body of Christ, the new people of God, this dispensation of the body of Christ, this age of grace. Here's the man who was tasked with this. And he's faithful. He goes through beatings. He goes through shipwrecks. He gets stoned and left for dead. He's given up everything in his life to serve God. And he, and he, has, no, he has no qualms about it. And in fact, he says, my only goal when he leaves the Ephesian elders, I don't care about my life. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. My life does not matter. What matters is finishing the task God gave me of taking this message to the Gentile world. And he, and he did the rest of his life. He sacrificed everything. And he had this amazing experience in chapter 12 where he got this, this glimpse of heaven. I, I believe he's talking about himself. This is for another study. Didn't even get a glimpse of it. He says, I just heard things I can't even tell you about. And after he had this, this, this maybe out-of-body experience or whatever you want to call it with, with heaven, verse 7, Paul says, to keep me from becoming conceited, to, here's the purpose. He acknowledges it to keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassing great revelations. There was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. I don't know. You know we don't know what that is. Some believe it was his eyesight. Very well could be because of different things we read. In the new, but we don't know for sure. We just have to have our own opinions on that. Whatever it is, it is so serious. 
I mean, it could have been a character weakness. It could have been a temptation. Who knows what? Whatever it is, he, he equivalates it with the messenger of Satan, that, that God is like Job, allowed Satan to have access to him for the purpose of keeping him humble. But he's also trying to do his work. He's trying to serve God. He's trying to do what God has called him to do. And look what he says, verse 8, three times. I don't think this would be lost on the Jewish audience. Three times. Elijah, three times, pleaded with God. Three times, I pleaded with the Lord. Take it away from me. You know, this word plead is the same word that that we get um, comforter from. It's the Holy Spirit, but it also means to beg, to implore. He begged God, God, do this. I'm doing your work. This is, this is causing trouble. I got the message. I'm, I'm humble. You know, I, I get it. Okay, take it away. And I, I pled with God. I begged with God. Would you take this away from me? But the Lord said to him, basically, no. You, you get this. And you're going to live with this. But my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast. I will. This is so anti or so contrary to nature. I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. And just as David begged for that child's life and God said no. Elijah begged for a child's life and God said yes. The Apostle Paul, when Eutychus fell out that window and hit the ground and died, remember that story at Ephesus? Paul went down there, brought him back to life, just like Elijah did. Brought him back to life. So certainly God could do this for him. God says no. God says no. But that didn't stop Paul from begging and pleading. And in the Old Testament tradition of his people, of 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 accepting God's will, but with a very vibrant communication and a very vibrant relationship. And he says, but I I know why. Because God is teaching me to become humble and, and my weakness will work to God's glory. And because of that, that's really what matters. And, and Paul probably spent the rest of his life till his dying day with whatever this weakness of this tormentor of Satan in his life was. The will of God. The will of God. Don't assume you know. Be careful. But we accept God's will. But that also involves a very deep relationship with God where we can be honest with God. We can be honest with God. And we probably should be honest with God. We probably should be. But when all is said and done... The point of it is to bring honor and glory to God. That's the point of it. To bring honor and glory to God. And the widow said, now I know. I've been eating the miracle every day. I've seen what you've done. I know you're a prophet. But I will never doubt that God's word is true. Amen? That's the will of God. And so we'll close with Jeffrey, that song. The will of God will not take you 
where the grace of God can't keep you. If anybody here has ever experienced that, that the will of God took you somewhere where you didn't want to go, or maybe is taking you there right now, but you did find that the grace of God could keep you there. If you've ever had the experience, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Thanks for coming today. And uh, feel free to, whoops, feel free to uh, visit and share, but also come back at 1.30 for a reception for Glenn and uh, his new wife this morning, Lamu, and we'll need food and refreshments at 1.30. And you're welcome to come. We invite all of you again. Thank you for coming. We'll be in here next Sunday as well. Uh, any projected time when we're going to be back in the sanctuary? No? Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> I trust the sound guys. They're the ones that, they're the ones that have to get that up and running. So uh, we will be back there. We shall return. Okay? <laughs> All right. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you again for your love for us. And Lord, we thank you for the privilege of, of praying to you and being honest with you and uh, calling you our Heavenly Father. Uh, Lord, to, to think that that you are our Father, and how much you love us, how much you've cared for us, how much you've watched over us. And Lord, that we can leave this place, even with the challenges, the difficulties, the unknowns, uh, the decisions we have to make, that we know, Lord, that all things will work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We glory in that, we rest in that today, and we'll continue to struggle in our prayer and in our humanity. But Lord, we look to you, and we love you. We love you so much today, and we thank you for being here together. In Christ's name, all God's people can stay together. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Thanks for coming today. Enjoy your day.